Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to another brand new episode of It's My Wrestling Podcast. I'm, of course, as always, your host, Chris. And before we get started, please make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube or follow on audio platforms, depending on where you're getting this episode from. Today's guest is a lady I'm very, very excited to speak to. She is a black belt in Taekwondo, a former bodybuilder, a former FCW women's champion, has wrestled for OVW, is an ECW original. She is, of course, the one and only Riptide, Miss Angel Orsini. Thank you so much for joining me, Angel. How's it going? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's great. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to connect with uh, wrestling lovers <laughs> as yeah. a fellow wrestling lover. <laughs> Oh, no, thank you so much for giving me your time. How how are things where you are over in, in the States? Is everything getting back to normal a bit more now? Um, no. Yeah, no? COVID, <laughs> COVID is kind of disrupting things pretty frequently. Hmm. Um, and where I live, I'm in New Jersey, which is right by New York. Um, it is 12 degrees, it, which is incredibly cold. <laughs> So it's a little uncanny, this uh, Arctic blast that we're having right now. But aside from that, I personally am doing awesome. Healthy, kicking ass, taking names, you know. Yeah, awesome. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, things things are getting back to normal a little bit more here in the UK. Like isolation periods have gone down. So it's, it's still not normal. Nothing's ever going to be normal ever again, but it's getting a little bit better. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed this year is the year when we can get back to, you know, a sort of normal way of life. Who knows? Something else is probably going to happen next anyway. But anyway, let's stop talking about COVID because all we've done is talk about COVID for the last two years. So let's talk about some, uh, let's talk wrestling. Let's have some fun talking wrestling. Um, I often like to start my interviews by asking, asking my guests like <clears throat> about their origins, what got them into wrestling, their training, all those kind of things. Um, and when I was doing little bits of research on your past and like dates and times and years and things like that, I was thrilled to see that you had spent time being trained by the late, great Dusty Rhodes. So I would be remiss if I didn't start off there by, by asking about Dusty. What were your experiences of working with him like? What was he like as a person? Because we we have this idea in our head of him being a larger-than-life character, always fun, always laughing and joking. Was was he like that as a trainer and as, as someone to work for? Yes, he was. He was a great person. He was... I would say probably one of my most favorite people I've ever met in wrestling. He really was all of that and more. He was a great coach and um, I met him just to give everybody background. Um, I met him when I was in ECW. So ECW was a big deal for me. Um, my trainer, unfortunately had passed away right before I got hired. So oh. I was kind of alone in the world like a babe lost in the woods, you know, and Dusty being the incredible human being that he was, I, 
absolutely recognized that about me and took the time to go out of his way to coach me and take me under his wing, um, which made me kind of feel more safe and uh, allowed me to be more myself instead of always being kind of on the edge, right? As As any kind of artist, a martial artist, as a a bodybuilder, as a pro wrestler, you have to uh, come to a certain level of comfortability with yourself and your abilities and your talent. And Dusty had this innate ability to make you feel very comfortable in your own skin. And he would encourage you and build up your confidence. So I will always forever be indebted for him to him for that because he did that for me. And whenever my schedule on the road would permit me to, I would go to the Kennesaw Dojo um, Turnbuckle Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling, I think was the name of his independent company. And uh, I I think that was also the name of the school. I'm not sure. Um, Back then that we're talking 2000. So I would always schedule time to go there and train. And he was always cracking jokes. Everybody was having fun. But when you were in the ring, absolutely different. It was like flipping a switch. Very serious. Not that it was like flipping a switch that he would be a different person. It was just very focused, very important because you're, you need to know how your feet how's the grip under over what and it's very technical so you know when he was in that capacity his technicality was uh incredible and he really helped me polish definitely yeah that's awesome to hear like he would be if i could speak to anybody on the show past or present dusty would be right at the very top of my list he just just seemed like a really good guy. You've only, you only ever, ever, ever hear nice things about him. Like similar to what you've just said, I've never ever seen, even in this day and age where everybody's taking shots at each other and trying to tear each other down. I think it would, you, you would have a real tough job trying to find anybody who didn't have something nice to say about, about Dusty. I would say if anybody had anything not nice to say about Dusty, it would probably be more of a jealousy thing then it would have any credibility to it because I spent all those hours in the dojo. Cause I'm one of those people. I'm like a gym, a a gym little, uh, pest, you know, like I, I would live in the cobwebs, you know, at the gym, the dojo or the wrestling school where like, I'm a homebody like that. I just spend hours and hours when I go, I go for the whole day. I bring a whole cooler full of stuff for me because I'm going to be there. I'm moving in, baby. <laughs> so even if I'm physically not in the ring, I'm watching and listening to what everybody's saying and what's going on. And never just, I want to be like a sponge and soak it all up. And I never heard him ever be even curt or, or rash to anybody, not an ill spoken word ever he would tell you the truth and maybe you might not want to hear the truth he wasn't going to delude you into not being aware of something that you needed to work on so i could see you know it there's always big egos and sometimes and i could see maybe where some people might not appreciate that in certain like you know if it's done in front of other people but you know in i think that's really just pride 
And that's a matter of the person's character. And I would say that that's not a good character trait to have because that hinders you from learning and growing. And as an artist, the truth is, if you really have a passion for wrestling or martial arts, you never stop learning. We are always learning from each other. And so to have an attitude like, you don't want to hear it is kind of foolish because you're creating your own, you know, blockage there. You're deciding, Hey, I'm at this point in my growth and development. I'm going to stay here. Okay. It's your choice, but it's not what I would recommend. If you really want to, uh, if you want to go to the next level and you really honestly want to go to the next level, then you should be willing to listen to any kind of a critique um, especially when it's delivered in a respectful manner. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And especially when it's coming from somebody like Dusty, you know, there, there aren't, there aren't many better people to learn from than Dusty. And it sounds like, like you say, he did it in a, um, he didn't do it in a, in a criticizing way. He didn't do it to tear anybody down or make anybody feel bad. It was like a constructive, constructive criticism sort of way. But some people just want, some people just want to have it sugarcoated, don't they? They don't want to hear they just want to hear, yeah, yeah, you're doing great, you're brilliant, yeah, nothing needs to, nothing needs to change, nothing needs to improve. And I assume those are the wrestlers who don't make it as far because they just, they, they just think that they're ready already before they're ready. Yeah, and it's um, so when you're pro wrestling, when you are a really exceptional pro wrestler, which everybody on TV is, because you have to be the cream of the crop to get there because it's so competitive. But one thing that it does when you watch them is it makes it look easy. And it's really, really not easy. <laughs> it just actually is that they are that great at it. Yeah. You know? And it actually really does take an extraordinary effort to get to that level and then go beyond that and stay there. Because once you make it, now you have to constantly keep people engaged with what you're doing and if you lose that level of hunger and passion to really be the 100 percent genuine uh wrestler uh, at your level of greatness maximum potential then you have you need that you need that hunger to keep striving it's almost like you have to egg yourself on and kind of compete with everybody else that's on the show right because you need everybody to pop when you you know when you're doing your stuff you need that audience reaction right and if you start to lose the fire the passion then it's really easy to get complacent and coast and then you know what's going to happen is you're going to get released because you know you can't they they demand that from you when you get there you don't stop you have to keep striving. You have to keep reaching yeah. for, for your next goal, for your next, you, you just, you always have to stay hungry. Yeah, absolutely. And just look at the last couple of years, look how many, if we're just talking about WWE, how many incredible talents have been released who you would think are at that level and are ready, but we've seen like, I don't know, like Samoa Joe, Killer Cross, people like that all released. It's more than ever now is a time where you need to keep, like you say, keep working, keep, keep hungry and keep trying to better yourself, even if you are at the top. Someone like someone like Roman Reigns, he's obviously at the very, very top, 
has been for quite a long time. But his development that we've seen in the last couple of years goes to show that even once you're at that level, you do need to keep striving to, you know, like I say, to to find something new and to tap into something that you haven't tapped into before. Exactly. What the terminology that we use um, in the locker room would be, um, you got to stay uncomfortable. Don't get comfortable because you have to be willing to stretch yourself, right? Because you start to get comfortable, then that means that you're kind of getting a little predictable. Yeah found yourself a groove and we all have this tendency to want to do this find a groove and kind of just you know coast but you can't do that when you're talking tv you have to be pushing the envelope you have to be stretching um and it's hard because you're on the road right and that's really draining you're although when you're on tv they have great catering (laughs) so (laughs) We did not have that. <laughs> My catering was some granola bars and maybe a banana or an apple. You know, that was that was our catering in hardcore TV. <laughs> but um, when you're WWE, AEW, uh, you know, you have catering, so you know you you're not hung- you're not literally hungry. <laughs> you should be yeah, I'm kind of hungry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. You um you, you mentioned before about ECW. Obviously, you're you're fondly remembered for your time in ECW. Um, as I said at the start, Riptide. You feuded with another of my favorites, Jazz, um, a woman I was lucky enough to have on the podcast a couple of months ago, and she spoke about ECW a lot and the opportunities that she had there and wrestling men while she was there. Obviously, that's something that you did as well, mixing it up with some of the guys. Um, I'm always I'm always keen to know, like, obviously at that time. WWE did not respect their women. They didn't use them well at all. How important was it for, for women like yourself and Jazz to um, to basically showcase what women were capable of at that time, especially, you know, like wrestling the men to show that you were able to do what the men could do? Was that important to, to you ladies? Did you have that in the back of your mind at, at any point? Um, I, I think it wasn't so much... It was important as a female wrestler before I was hired at ECW. I wanted to be ECW for the reason of how they use the women wrestlers, right? They did make a differentiation between their valet manager girls and the girl wrestlers. And so for me, the storylines that were in ECW, I thought were the best on TV. And I, um, really wanted to be there and my dogs are bugging me right now. Um, and so when we did get the opportunity to, um, get out there and show our wrestling, um, we, it wasn't so much like we were like, okay, we're going to be women now that are going to, you know, set the world on fire in my heart. I wanted to just be equal with the guys because I, they were the best wrestlers on tv and i thought you know i just want to honor this locker room and be at that standard and push the envelope in the hardcore extreme direction and be worthy of the opportunity that they have given me because it was a worthwhile opportunity to get to be a girl that was on tv not because of how she looked but because of how she wrestled Mm 
And I was so honored to have that opportunity. And I just wanted to honor the opportunity by, by doing that work in the ring every chance I got. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You, you mentioned how, um, how they were the best wrestlers on TV, the best storylines and that I, I spoke to, when was it about a week ago? I had Jasmine St. Clair on the show for an interview. And she said that her time in ECW, like it was the best locker room that she was ever a part of. Would you, would you agree with that? She said it was, um, it was not what you would expect. Like it wasn't always just hardcore guys drinking and fighting backstage. It was like a family. Is that something that you experienced as well? Yes, it was a family. Absolutely. We still are a family. I, I mean, when I see my brothers at these signings or on a show, you know, it's instantly we gravitate toward each other and it's all like, hey, how's, you know, this kid, that kid, you know, the new wife, <laughs> you know, for some of the guys. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's where it's at. They were definitely family to me. I adore them and respect them still, every single one of them. Yeah, it feels like um, <clears throat> even as a fan, like you, you watch certain promotions and you can you almost get a sense that that wrestlers are trying to sort of like one up each other and get ahead of each other on the ladder. But with places like Ring of Honor, ECW, um, even Impact recently, it really feels like it's sort of like a, a family feel where you're all looking out for each other to try and push to try and push the company, push the promotion and make it as as good that it can and, and make it as successful as it can. And that's how ECW always felt to me like you were always very like minded with each other. Yes. Yeah, and also um, part of the reason why we were that way is because as soon as the ring was set up, we were in the ring um, wrestling and working out with each other. So, you know, uh, people would come and have their tryouts also, but we would get in there and work out first before we would let them come in. And um, that built that bond. So the mo I think that one of the most important things in pro wrestling is trust because we're sacrificing our bodies for each other. And so the way that you really have that really great bond of trust is to really work out with each other and train with each other and see how hard everybody's willing to go just in working out. Yeah. Not even anybody's there yet. And so when you see that, then you, you, you recognize these people are on my same level, on my same frequency, even though when they get in the ring on the show, they might be, you know, stabbing somebody with a fork instead of doing a, you know, tackle, drop down, you know, hip toss, whatever. Um, but they can do that stuff, right? It's just that on the show, we all have our, um, kind of angle that we're doing, right? We have a certain style that we are on the show to have that placement on the card where it is so that the fans don't see the same match every single match, right? It has to be a little different. So everybody has their own little style, their own little difference. But when we're working out, we earn the respect of each other because we actually can do everything that each other can do. And you find that out by working out together. Yeah. And that's only get that really. Yeah. Like I say that, that even, even as a fan, that sort of like, this, this was a time before like the internet was really a big thing. Obviously there was no social media. So you didn't see the wrestlers hanging out 
like before and after the show together. But but even even as a fan in that day, you could still sort of like feel that that everybody got along really well and that you were all sort of like good um, good camaraderie. I guess would be the best best word to describe it. Um, while we're on the subject of ECW, something I have to ask anybody who's ever set foot in ECW, I have to have to have to ask about Paul Heyman, one of my just for me, one of the most important figures in pro wrestling history up there with Crockett, up there with Vince McMahon, honestly, up there with Bischoff. I think what Heyman did for the business was so revolutionary. Um, what were your dealings with with Paul Heyman like? Like, Was he particularly hands-on with, with the talent? Because obviously it's a very different business now, isn't it? There's so many agents, there's so many writers, so many different teams and producers and all that kind of stuff. But... ECW sort of like felt like it was really Heyman's baby. So like, did he spend a lot of time with you guys? I mean, yeah, he, uh, it was split up. I would say between uh, Paul and Tommy and because obviously you can't manage every single match, right? You, you want, and Tommy dreamer really thought, just like Paul Heyman, you know, in terms of the genius and in terms of, and I'm sure they had already figured out the storylines and what they wanted to do for many, many months into the future and how to build up for each pay-per-view. And some people were really uh, more in charge of their own stuff. And it did depend on, you know, whether this was a house show or whether it was TV. So Paul was definitely very involved in TV um, because I was in a storyline of the tag team tournaments because I was a part of the Simon Diamond, Johnny Swinger storyline. So I worked with Paul because we did have to have a production meeting because it was a lot, you know, of, of content, wrestling content and a lot of people, we were a huge stable. So, you know, we all have to understand how we all fit together. And then, you know, Simon, uh, Pat Kinney, you know, was basically in charge of us. And then, but they, they also trusted us to agent our matches. Like once, once we had a pr production meeting and we got what he wanted out of, out of our match for TV, then it was up to us to get there. Right. Yeah. Because, he was so incredibly talented you don't need to tell a steve carino you know how to get to where you want him to go he, he he's got jack victory and you know they're gonna be fine <laughs> they they know how what they got to do to do that and so we weren't like um i i call that we weren't babysat like that we were trusted to, as the professionals that we were are to, to get there. And so we did, you know, and it, and I think when you give people that creative energy to like that room, that space to create that you really get a better end product from, from it because everybody cares so much more to like live up to that, you know, not just to keep it so that we continue to work in this environment, but to honor that opportunity that you gave us to do that. And, um, so I say Paul was very involved, as was Tommy Dreamer. Um, but, you know, everybody was so great that you, you didn't need an agent. If we were in a match, we were our agent and we worked it out with each other. 
yeah, everything these days is so like overproduced and micromanaged and all that kind of stuff. Like you, you, the day after Raw or SmackDown or, or whatever, you'll always see <clears throat> a news article will come up saying, "Oh, revealed which um, which producers produced each match on Raw." And I'm like, I, I don't care. I, like, I, I don't want to know who's producing the matches, like because that takes away from it a little bit. That you know what I mean, like. Back in the day of ECW and and even the earlier days of WWF, it did feel like the guys were just going out there, doing what they wanted to do. They knew how to get through a match. Obviously, they would have had a chat before and gone through some things, but the matches just felt very natural. And these days, it all feels very rigid, like they're just waiting to go to that next spot that they've been told to do. Well, I will say that today it's a little bit different, okay, because... So firstly, people come from all different schools and you may have a lot of natural talent and ability. You might know the foundation, but the truth is the psychology of when to do which moves, it does take a number of years to get there. Right. It, it, it's not something that, oh yeah, that makes sense. It kind of takes several years for things to make sense. Like I was just watching a match because uh, somebody was like, oh, these girls had a really good match here. Let me show it to you. And I was watching the match and I was like, this is not a really good match. <laughs> it, they did some really great moves, yeah. but it made not a lick of sense why they did this move at this time and that it, it didn't make any sense. They were just doing moves to be like, oh, look, I can do this move. Oh, and then I can do yeah. this. And the truth is the crowd reacted exactly. They were like probably in the bathroom or eat, going and getting their hot dog or their beer because there was no crowd response. In the beginning, there was a crowd response. And they were like, yay, we can't wait to watch these girls. And then after like the first thing, they were like, huh? <laughs> like you, the, the crowd was lost. You did not a story you have to tell a story and telling a story is an art and that usually comes later because when you're a new wrestler you're so focused on these moves and the technical aspect of doing these moves not killing yourself not breaking your opponent you know you don't want to break them you just want to pin them for three seconds or maybe get them in a submission hold okay i don't want to break you and you know then you can't work for a year because i did something to you you know what i mean that's not cool either yeah. so in the beginning it's a lot of pressure and a lot of nerves so you kind of need somebody to tell you and help you put together your match because you like, oh, I got all these moves. Which one do I do? You know what I mean? Like, you really need somebody to kind of tell you, no, you know, you don't do the power bomb in the first 15 seconds of your match. It, it's not a good idea. It, it's a cool move, and I'm glad that you know how to do it. But why don't we put it a little bit, you know, more in, you know, yeah. late when, when, when we're ready to, to go to our limit, if we have a 10-minute limit, you know. I'm hired to entertain the crowd for 10 minutes, then, you know, I need to be good enough at my art to tell the story and then, but take 10 minutes to tell the story, not 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Even as somebody that's obviously never set foot in the business, never set foot in the ring. I completely agree. For me, it's always, always been about the story. Um, so the, the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, um, <clears throat> I've never had the opportunity to speak to anybody who has had 
dealings or worked for for this person but i know that you you spent a little bit of time um working for fabulous moolah or, or in her promotion um ladies ladies international wrestling federation i believe it's yeah. called Not, nothing no i've never been familiar with it didn't even know that it was a thing um but i've always always wanted to ask somebody a question about moolah so i was i was thrilled to see that you had spent time there like did you have many dealings with moolah she's obviously a super controversial figure for for various reasons that I'm not going to get into now. But what what was she like to be around if you spent much time with her at all? Um, I did have several different in- interactions with her, and one of them was working for her on a show. Um, I had already heard all of that stuff because the woman who trained me, my first trainer, was Liz Chase, yeah. and the woman broke me in was Luna Vachon and they were both trained by Mula. I had already met Leilani Kai. So I already knew of their stories. You know, they all told me those stories. So, um, but the thing was, I wasn't trained by Mula, so she didn't treat me the same way. And it was actually very positive interactions that I had with her. They were very respectful. However, because she wasn't my uh, teacher, she didn't kind of cut my match short. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And I was really mad actually because I didn't get to have my full story. Right. And so the crowd responded accordingly that, you know, it didn't really get over as an artist. I care about my match, getting the response from the crowd because the way that you build a career is people hear the name, your name and they have anticipation because of their experience watching you. So whenever they see you on a show, they want to come watch you because of those previous experiences. So it bothered me that I didn't get to give them what they expected of me. And when I went to the back, I was, I expressed it because I'm not shy. I'm a professional. I have, I'm going to say the truth. It wasn't a great match because we got cut short because you said we had to end the match then. And then she looked at me and she said, you know, you're right. I'm sorry for that. And um, she said, I want you to be in the battle royal at the end. And I'm going to have you be one of the last people in, in, in the ring to make up for it for you. Because that wasn't fair. And even Liz was back there and she was like, <laughs> yeah. she couldn't believe it. <laughs> and it was a great honor to be in that battle royal and get to be in the amazing women that had these long careers and get to interact with them in the ring and they're all passed away now they're all gone so i'm forever grateful to her for that and that meant the world to me it still means a lot to me and i mean i had other interactions with her and um one instance um date may young and her were main event and it was uh, women's extreme wrestling or dangerous women of wrestling, something like this. We were in Philadelphia and I had had a hardcore match with Amy Lee, primetime Amy Lee. Mm-hmm. And 
we went all over the place, you know, and we did our thing. And when we came back, Mula was Mula's Mula came back at the end of the show because they were main event and they came back her daughter and her and said, you guys had the best match of all matches before our match. And that just like me and Amy Lee hugged each other. We were like, Oh my God, that's awesome. She, and she just said a bunch of other things that were just really complimentary. And, and it was like, you know, I teared up. It was beautiful. It was, it's a big honor to have that kind of compliment from somebody who's seen all these women come and go and every single match. It, it was a big deal to me. Yeah, like without without Moolah, like I don't know loads and loads of the history. I know little bits and I've heard all the stories, heard all the controversies, but I imagine without Moolah, women's wrestling would probably look very different to how it does now. I think I think that's safe to say. Um, it's nice to hear some positive stories about her. Obviously, you you read so much, you hear so much without ever experiencing it. You know, it's it's nice to it's nice to hear that she apologized, that she was nice to you, that she made up for it as well. That's really cool. That's that's a really cool little story. That is, I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, right. I, I I wanted to ask you. I hope, I hope you don't mind. I wanted to ask about the um, unfortunate car accident that you had, which obviously halted your progress in the business i know that you've since you've worked hard so hard to come back and actually be able to wrestle you were wrestling not too long ago i think last month you wrestled in in december uh, 2021 yeah. um i believe around the time of your injury your the accident you had spoken to to wwe or you were in negotiations with wwe something like that so like how how hard was that to deal with? Because obviously the accident would have put that on hold. I assume you you never heard from WWE again. Um, did you ever feel like just just giving up? What what was it that motivated you to keep to keep working hard to come back to the business? Well, so what happened was it was right after ECW ended and had their last show, and then I was in that car accident. Um, I was pa- paralyzed on half of my body, and. Um, yeah. So they were like, oh, you'll never wrestle again. But um, it's actually a really funny story. I was it, not funny, but ironic. Um, I was staring up at the ceiling and I was like mad at God. And I was kind of in the middle of a spiritual crisis. Right. Because why would God, you know, do this to me and all that? And um had a conversation with Kevin Nash about six years prior to this and Kevin Nash he had uh he was a basketball player and he had hurt his knee and and doctors had told him oh you know this is going to be hard to come back to from like you might not come back from this and then he went through all this pain and this rehab and then he went back and then it happened again he hurt his knee again And so he gave me this inspirational speech when I had met him. I I had met him at this place and I had asked him for advice. And so he told me this story about how he rehabbed not once, but twice. And he was at this place where he was like, you know, I've been through all of this. And he was in WCW and he really wasn't happy because they were giving him like this wizard thing. And it was like... 
you know, let's just be honest. It sucked. Right? It was not cool. It was not, it was not his potential. He didn't say that that was not his words, but I'm talking to you. Like, you know, what was going on in my head when I was having the conversation with him. And he was at this point when he was giving me this advice where he was in negotiation to go to WWE. So he had hope of something better. And he was like, listen, so if anybody can tell you, you know, the business is hard, it's me. I, you know, and he went and he was like, and all I got to tell you is you can't have any regrets when life turn gives you lemons, you know, you got to just say, you know what, I'm going to leave it all in the ring. He goes back then I was saying, I'm going to leave it all on the court. This was my mentality. You know, I, no regrets when I'm done with a game, when I'm done with a match, no regrets. I gave my best. I gave a hundred percent all I could. And you don't give up. He goes, you never give up. You never walk away. And, and, and it was like so inspirational. He talked to me for like 20 minutes. I'll never forget it. And here I was looking up at the ceiling, crying, woe is me, boo-hoo, how am I ever going to get out of this? And boom, Kevin Nash's words came back to me at that moment. Don't you give up. Don't you have any regrets. They may tell you this. They may tell you it's over. They told me it was over, you know, but it wasn't over. And look at, he had that great career. He got to go be Diesel and do all that great stuff, that NWO, right? And so the second part of his career after all that suffering was better. And so that's what came back to me. And that gave me that hope to aspire that I don't receive what the doctors are saying. I don't care whatever it is, the pain that I may have to endure. Because when I'm done enduring that pain, I'm going to have that same thing. I'm going to have a better second half of my career than I did in the first half career. ECW be a blip on the screen of my career. And it kind of was in a way because there were all these things that I had wanted to do that I did get to do, even though it was kind of more on an indie level. Yeah. You know, W did have TV and in Philadelphia. So I did get to do all those cool things, flaming tables and ladder matches and steel cage match. And I, I you know, I, I actually ended up with more championships after that point in my career yeah. than I had before. So yeah. Kevin Nash, the life coach. I <laughs> didn't expect that. Didn't expect Kevin Nash to turn out to be a life coach. <laughs> Not is, yeah, it was, it was true. And I had the support of like my best friend, Joy Nash, because I, I lost everything, you know, when you're a wrestler and that's how you make your living. And then you get hurt and you can't wrestle. You know, I lost my storage unit with all my like black belt certificates and my bodybuilding championship trophies, hmm. all of that one, because this happened, you know, I was still trying to walk. I had no money. I lost all the money I had. That was it. Burned right through it. So she gave me her couch and that's where I lived until, you know, I can walk. And I did all my PT myself. I had no money for a doctor or anything. The only thing I got was a chiropractor that was paid through the car insurance. Hmm. And they gave me these adjustments. And that's what, what it was. All my bones were like out of, out of uh, the socket, including like where my ribs went into my, my back. And that's why I couldn't, you know, walk was because the nerve damage. Right. And that was, I'm telling you, so painful. 
Ooh. I mean, I would have these muscle spasms and my intercostal muscles and tears would just run down my face. It was just excruciating. Wow. But I persevered, made it, and I came back and I wrestled. I'm, I'm still wrestling now. Yeah, that's... Um... That's that's a lot. That's pretty intense. You know, we hear a lot about wrestlers having career ending injuries, whatever, and they come back and they have surgery now. But that's that what happens. You seems pretty final, doesn't it? Like I, I, if somebody told me that that had happened to somebody, I'd be like, oh, OK, they're never going to wrestle again. They're probably never going to walk again. That's that's one hell of a comeback story to have nerve damage and all that kind of stuff and all of your bones dislocated as well. And that's that's crazy. I've got to say I'm a little bit inspired by that. To be honest, that's mad. Well, what I learned, what I started studying, I've always been studying nutrition because I did as a bodybuilder, mm. but I really intensified my studying to learn about anti-inflammatory uh, dieting. Right. And so that sound like turmeric and um, I changed my diet over and started doing more of a pescatarian diet, got all the grains out and because I was swollen. And all my was very swollen. And um, so I changed my diet. I started doing learning yoga um, and really trying to implement stretching and, and increasing my flexibility. And I can tell you that that is the foundation of why I'm still wrestling. And it's 25 years of a wrestling career. And I still do martial arts. And, you know, I still work out and lift and everything and it's flexibility, I think is key. And now I'm back. I'm totally uh, gluten-free as well as uh, mostly vegan. I do eat some seafood, but I keep it to a minimum. Hmm. I'm just tired thinking about it. It sounds like a lot of effort. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. Like I'm sure you've heard that a million times, but I, I think it's incredible. That is one of the most, like I say, inspiring comeback stories that I've ever heard. Um, you said in there that you've, you've made lots of changes. Um, I know that you've, you've done degrees and things like that as well. And I mentioned Kevin Nash being a life coach. I know that you're, uh, you've become a professional life coach over the years as well. Uh, degrees in health and fitness and things like that. So I wanted to ask about what you're up to at the moment with um, Elevated Living. I couldn't find too much information on it, but I knew, I knew that it was a project that you were working on with uh, with joy is that right yes yes we're doing um we're putting together webinars and so it's a little bit different now in the covid age with life coaching right but i think it has changed everybody's focus a little bit to maybe try and institute a healthier lifestyle but change is really difficult and it can be um you know it's mostly fear of the unknown. It's like, I don't know what to do. So that's why I'm not doing it. And so we're putting together um, uh, a virtual life coaching program where people can learn at their own pace and it's going to be digitalized so that they can, as they go through the steps, it provides them coaching in many different ways because we're all different, right? So there's going to be messages, there's going to be uh, video messages, and then there'll be like weekly uh, live streaming events that they can attend. Plus we're in the midst of creating a community. We're actually really going to be launching very soon. 
with our first program, I would say, you know, I want to launch by March. Right. Okay. So we're going to have stuff that people can do as like a self-study where it just guides them and they do it on their own. And then they have a community that they can go to for support or they could do virtual coaching where it's more like um, attending, you know, uh, streaming events that will encourage them and give them the information, additional information as they go through the steps. Cause let's face it. Sometimes we need like accountability. We need somebody to say, okay, come on, let's go. It's time. You, it's time. You know, we need that. We need the little nudging, a little poking. So that's what this is. And it's also some people don't have a great budget to work with. Right. So you know, we don't want to, we want to make it so that it can fit the different levels. Uh, we'll also be able to fit in different budgets because we really don't want to leave anybody out. It's important to take care of yourself. It's your life, your body. You have to take care of yourself and nobody's responsible for that. But you, sometimes it can be scary because you get like, Oh, people tell you, this is the secret. Eat this, drink that. You know, it's really not one thing that's a secret. Okay. It's getting started. It's taking those steps. It's, you know, doing something different. And here's what you can do that's different. And we kind of like give everybody the information, but we do it. um, We administer it in a way where when they're ready for the next step, they can have that next information. Yeah, yeah. So you don't push them before they're ready. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's really nice to to be looking after people. I think quite quite a lot of wrestlers actually, off the top of my head, try and get into things like this, don't they? Where they're just trying to give back. I think one of the biggest things is probably DDP yoga. Um, like Mark Merrow, he's a guy who's gone on to do like life coaching and motivational speaking. Was this always something that you wanted to do once wrestling was was done, or or is it something that you've just fallen into is is it is it a personal experience that's helped you to 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 make this decision it's something i've always wanted to do um when i was a young younger um i went through very um uh traumatic events and i had a lot of anxiety and it was really uh very difficult for me to kind of um find my way and cope with this and heal. So I always wanted to give back to people because I think anxiety is a big deal. When you have anxiety in your life, um, it's hard to overcome. Like for some people, they're so overwhelmed with anxiety, they can't even leave their house, right? And something like here we are in a pandemic where we have uh, extraordinary anxiety levels because even just there's everyday life has been disrupted on such really it's been infiltrated on every level your kid going to school you going to work you going to the grocery store getting on the bus you know all of this stuff it's it can you know so i always want to give back in that regards to help people learn how to manage anxiety because i don't think our lives and our decisions that we make in our lives should be run by the fears that we face because fearful thoughts are just thoughts 
right? But you have a choice over which thoughts you focus on. And so that's, I, I realized this at a very, very young age. It's really been like my calling my whole life. My tell you, like we would go to the grocery store and all of a sudden I'd be missing and they'd be looking for me and they would find me, you know, talking to this adult, holding their hand, telling them that it was going to be okay. And, you know, like that's always been me. That is my life calling. I have always just felt like people just need a little support, you know, and that's, I always knew one day when I was whatever that I was going to end up doing some, I didn't know it was life coaching then, but yeah, I always wanted to aspire to have a business where my job every day could be helping people sort through these fleeting thoughts. Some people it's not anxiety. Some people it's depression and they have a hard time being positive. Right. So this program, we teach about mindfulness. We give people actual techniques that they can use that will help them when they start to feel like they're overwhelmed. There are things that you can do about this. And, um, and so I did get uh, certified in neuroscience and that helps uh, be able to put together the program so that it's easy to understand and implement. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. It's, it's lovely to see people trying to give something back and trying to help others. I know anxiety and depression all too well. Honestly, I get anxious before recording podcast episodes. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lovely thing. And I know so many people suffer in silence as well. They don't like to talk about things. They don't like to tell. They don't even like to tell their loved ones. I don't like to tell. I think outside of my wife, I don't think anybody really knows how I think and feel all the time. And sometimes it's easier to confide in a stranger, isn't it? Somebody who you don't feel like they're going to judge you. Right. Right. There's no judgment. Um, you know, and everybody with whatever philosophical background they may have, you know, can, this doesn't interfere with anybody's faith, you know, whatever their religious background is, uh, or, you know, whether it's male or female, uh, your sexual orientation, whatever we, there's, there is zero judgment in any of that. We want to help people live freely in accepting who they are and understanding themselves and being aware of that so that they can engage with others in a more authentic manner. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's lovely. Like I said, absolutely. Couldn't commend what you're doing anymore. It's a brilliant thing. Um, I wanted to I wanted to round off by going back to wrestling. Um, and I know this is probably going to be a bit of a difficult thing, but I like to put my guest on the spot because I'm horrible like that. <laughs> so you've, done, you've done so many cool things. You've been a part of so many really cool promotions, done loads of great stuff. You've some some things we didn't mention. You've toured Peru with Lita, uh, trained Molly Holly, worked with Jazz, as I said earlier on, um, your time with ECW, worked with Mercedes Martinez, somebody who I am a huge, huge fan of. And like I say, I know this might be hard to narrow down, but what's what's like the one moment, the one thing that you've accomplished that you're the most proud of or or the moment that you cherish the most looking back on? I know you're obviously your career isn't over yet. You're, you're still in and around the business. So this might be something that hasn't even happened yet. But so far where you're at, what would you say is that one moment? Um, I would say right now the, the 
Circle of Champions documentary of women's professional wrestling. Uh, I'm one of the producers of, and I would say that that is right now my one moment that uh, just telling the story of women's wrestling without it being all about Mula, like she's yeah. the only, you know, but um, really giving the truth of the historical context and um, some of these other women that people don't know as, as that aren't as famous, but their contribution was so significant and so important that telling their story is just means everything to me. And, and Medusa is a part of it. Um, jazz is a part of it. And so um, telling their story and in, in the context of the whole history of women's professional wrestling and taking that and bringing it forward to where we are right now, I would say that it, that is my moment because the truth is there have been women going through glass ceilings to get to where we are right now. I mean, 20 years ago, me and Jazz, we wanted it to be 20 years ago the way it is right now. Right. And even like 10 years ago, I was saying, you know, we could have everything the guys have. There's enough women then to have it, you know, or even 15 years ago. Right. And they, those, those opportunities came and went. And instead, we got bra and panty matches, pillow fight, puke. <laughs> you know, sorry, but um, it 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 could have been the way it is now. And so, my whole goal with what we're doing is to ensure that the way that we have it now is the way that it's going to be. And when we go into the future, that it's the same and even more that it stays this equality, this level of equality, equal opportunity. Yeah. Also, you say that was circle of champions. Was that, was that called you said? Yes. I believe there's a Facebook page about it and there's a trailer on there that people can watch. There's, I mean, there's a lot of famous people that we interviewed you know, I, I didn't personally interview them all. I've only been on this project, I would say, for like the last two and a half years. I've been working on it. Um, the, the director and executive producer, it's taken him uh, 10 years, Christopher Arnino, to put this together. He's been doing all these interviews. You know, um, Gary Wolf is all, also a producer on this. So, um, and Evan Ginsberg. Um, the gentleman who was a associate producer on the wrestler and also the documentary 350 days, he's also a producer on this. So yeah, this, you know, we're very hopeful that this is going to be a really interesting documentary. There hasn't been one on women's wrestling yet. No. So yeah. Very cool. Are you, are you, when, when's that sort of like slated to be, to be dropping? Is it soon? Is it, is it this year? I believe that it's slated for release for 2023 because we are doing some stuff and, and going through into the summer, this summer with shooting some more interviews. Um, so then we COVID, have, COVID probably didn't help either, did it? No, we didn't get a lot done in 2020 at all. 
So it kind of went into a standstill, unfortunately. Yeah, because people were getting sick, you know. So unfortunately, yeah, we were delayed. We originally wanted to release it this year, but there's a lot to be edited. So that's the only reason why, you know, it's going to take that long. Awesome. I'll keep an eye out for that. I'll look it up on Facebook and I'll put any information that I can find in the description for this episode when it goes out as well. Um, Brilliant. Uh, Angel, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for rearranging with me. We had a couple of issues before, so I really appreciate at short notice you you rearranging this. I've really, really enjoyed your your time. Before I let you go, though, uh, where can people find you on like social media, any shows or events, anything like that that you've got coming up soon? Yes, January 30th, Sunday at 3 p.m. for Spartan Championship Wrestling. I I am challenging PJ Whip for her title. So it is a uh, championship uh, match. It will be at the VFW in Kenilworth, New Jersey. Um, And then in March, um, I'm going to be uh, a rematch uh, for the... uh, goddesses of war through Funhouse championship wrestling and uh that i don't know where that's going to be but if people go to my facebook page i always have that stuff posted on facebook i am the angel orsini uh, my website is angel orsini.net um, my twitter is the angel orsini and the same with instagram and the same with TikTok. So uh, please connect with me. I do interact with fans on a regular basis and I enjoy uh, our conversations, our uh, messages, uh, postings and all of that. And um, yeah, I'm grateful and I'm going to be wrestling even more coming up. Um, And who knows, there's no limit to what's going on. This is only another beginning 2022 has a lot of hope and a lot and i am aspiring to do even more than just this documentary but other films and uh projects that are still in development right now but so definitely i do recommend people stay tuned it's coming Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. I really am. As a fan myself, it's great to see you in and around the business and doing other really cool things as well. Really, really, really awesome. Really happy that you joined me today. Like I said, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Guys, girls, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching this. I hope you really enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Like I said at the start, please make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube. Please make sure you hit follow on audio links. Thank you for your support. And I'll look forward to catching you next time on It's My Wrestling Podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.